It's good to see you guys. Who loves Jesus today? Come on. Come on. Who loves Jesus today? Come on, somebody. Good to see you. All right. Um, I want to get into the word here quickly in just a second. But before we do, um, I want to introduce someone to you. I'm going to do this in, in, right now in just a second here because they got to get down to preach to the Spanish on the Spanish Facebook page. But I want to introduce some uh, visitors today. So uh, these are missionaries from down in the Baha'i area, but more than missionaries, I've known these guys for almost my entire Christian walk, especially uh, Pastor Randy. Pastor Randy and Louie are here with their family. Uh, when I first got saved, uh, Randy was a young adult uh, in the church there. And I know this is gonna shock some of you, but when I first got saved, I had a few rough edges. And um, there was a group of people that got next to me, which really is apropos for the message this morning. I'm just gonna talk about relationship and groups and stuff, but he was a part of that. And Randy really got next to me in those first couple of years of my Christianity and just spent time with me. Just spent time with me, didn't, didn't judge me, didn't, didn't try to adjust me, didn't try to fix things. He just became my friend and really walked me through those first couple of years. And uh, as a family and, and personally, I, I really owe you know, Randy a debt of gratitude. Uh, over the years, we ended up working together on staff. He was the young, young adult pastor there at the church for a long time, and he was a part of our, our crew that, that built Generation Unleashed back in the day, which at the time was the largest youth conference in America in a local church, uh, pushing close to 10,000 kids. And uh, we've, we've had some great seasons together over 25, 26 years. God's good. They went down to Mexico. They've been missionaries there with their family, and uh, we actually sewed into them. I just want you guys to know this. Uh, you sewed into them during COVID just to, just to help with resource and to sew. COVID has affected everybody around the world. You, me, them down in Mexico. And some of the missionaries in uh, some other nations have really, have really faced some significant challenges because they don't live in the West, so to speak. And, uh, but I wanted you to know that we did so into them with some money uh, over the last couple of months. You did that. And so I'm going to have them come. Randy and Louie, why don't you just come on up and, uh, um, and say hello. Will you please actually stand to your feet? It's been a while. Just stand to your feet. Come on, clap your hands. Give them a shout. Tell them welcome to Denver. And uh, why don't you guys say hi. Hello, everybody. We are just so delighted to be here today. Truly, it is an honor to see just the work with the stories that Pastors Dong and Donna are telling us. We just see the hand of God in this city. We see the hand of God over you. It is amazing. All these stories just fills us with faith. And also, thank you for um, sowing into us. We have seen the hand of God time and time again, and we can tell you, surely, God is faithful. So we're thankful to be here, and it is an honor. Amen. It is such a blessing for us to be here. And uh, like Pastor Doug said, we've known them for a long time, known Doug, uh, Donna and her family, the Wagers, since probably the early 80s. And uh, just such an amazing family. We love them so much, the whole Lasset family. And we're just blessed to be here. We want to thank you guys for blessing us. You were an answer to prayer. Your gift was like an open heaven to us in a time of need. And so we want to thank you for your generosity. We're so blessed. And I want to say, too, that I'm thankful for your pastors. They're, uh, uh, they're just such amazing pe people. Doug and I were, um, you know, we were young adults together. And he, as he said, when he first got saved, we were friends. And I remember him going through some pretty difficult seasons. And I grew up in the church my whole life, but I was just kind of like just 
in church trying to not be bad, you know? And, and, Doug, and, and then I see Doug really growing in the Lord, and then he's going through some hard stuff, like when uh, Pastor Bob Wager said, Doug, you can't talk to my daughter for two years. And so that was really hard, and yet I watched him just grow, and just, because he's like, I don't, it's not about them, or the, I'm going after Jesus. And it was just awesome, and, and I realized, man, I gotta get with the program here. I've been a save my whole life, and this guy's new, and he's just going. And I see that now, even today, here, I see the fruit of that persistence of people that just go after God. And I'm so thankful to be here. We love you guys. God bless you. Thank you again. All right, uh, one more round of applause for them. And Pastor Tasha, you're actually gonna escort them down to the MC Auditorium and they're gonna, he's gonna be preaching down in the, uh, in the Spanish online service today. And uh, you guys haven't met, so you guys can all say hi. Okay, who's, uh, who's excited to hear the word today? Come on, let's get to the Bible, right? That's why we're here. Uh, today, I'm going to continue with, in a series called Uncharted. Uh, specifically today, I do have a little bit of an agenda in that, that we're really believing that as many of you as possible, both here in services, of course, you know, only a couple of hundred people on the weekends, uh, a small percentage of our church is actually in services now. And so for those of you online or, you know, throughout the week, uh, we would love for you to jump online and sign up for one of our groups. This is in lieu of our connect groups. I really felt this, this season in the fall too, uh, it's, a, it's a Bible study devotional. It's called Devote. I'm gonna talk about it. But my desire is that through this message that something inside of all of our hearts today would shift a little bit and you'd say, you know what, I can do this. I can do a group. I can be in a group. And we'd love for you to sign up. It's really simple. You simply text that number that you're gonna see online or at the end of the service and uh, your name comes to us. We sit down and we just put all the groups together. We're hoping to see a large percentage of the church kind of get into one. And the reason is because, um, how many of you know, it doesn't matter if there's a pandemic or earthquake, doesn't matter if there's wars somewhere in the world, Jesus is still working, Jesus is still moving. And here's what we can't do. We can't sit back and relax and say, oh, you know what, I guess we'll just have vision for discipleship when the pandemic is over. Did you know that people are still planting churches in the middle of the pandemic? There's like 15, 20 churches that I know of that are being planted right now in the middle of a pandemic. Pandemic, and they're, they're reaching people, they're growing, cities are being reached, neighborhoods are being reached. How many of you know God's working even in the middle of the fire, right? Come on, he's, he's in it. So we gotta make sure that we, we stay involved. So I'm gonna jump in. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Now before I read it, let me give a little context, which I've done before about this portion of scripture, but I want you to hear, hear me this morning. Um, Throughout the Gospels and into the, to the book of Acts, there are many stories about the apostles and the disciples, and you get to see how they lived their lives and what they did. But the book of Acts specifically is the history, it's the history of the local church. The book of Acts is the book that actually records the birth of the church. That's what we're doing right now. What you and I are experiencing in this room was birthed in Acts chapter 2. And as a matter of fact, one of the most beautiful things that you can do, I'll throw this in, I know I gotta be quick, but I, you know, if you read the Gospel of Luke, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. If you put the, the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together, there's actually books that do this for you, put them together, it's part one and part two. Luke also wrote Acts, and both letters were written to the same person. He was discipling somebody who had gotten saved, and he was talking about what was happening. The, the, the Luke and Acts together are the only 
complete writing that takes us from baby Jesus at Christmas, come on, right, all the way through the birth of the local church. It's the only complete reading of the entire story. You should do that sometime. But we're talking about the church. And, and what happens is I like to think of Acts chapter two and the book of Acts like, um, like a major boulevard in a city. Like we're on university here. So imagine that the book of Acts as a whole is like driving down University Boulevard. You start down here at the light and you're like, oh wow, look, there's, you know, there's the Cherry Creek Mall and there's the golf course and over here, oh, there's the Pearl Church on this side and you're going along and then the Holy Spirit speaks to you and stops you, but it just happens to be in front of Bonnie Bray ice cream. That's just how the Lord works. And, and you go, there's the ice cream shop and, and, and during, you know, during pandemics, those are very important things the Lord provides. And then you keep driving and you get down to the freeway. It's a big picture drive through of the local church. This is what's happening. Here are the characters. Here's, but in Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47, is the only place where the car pulls over. We get to get out of the car. We get to walk up onto the side and see through the living room window of something that was happening behind closed doors. Jesus had been, had been buried and resurrected. Uh, the apostles had gone through some of their drama and things that were, that were happening. Jesus had spent 40 days with them in a resurrected body. Uh, a bunch of apostles went up into a room, 120 people. They stayed there for 10 days. And then they came out after those 10 days and they were all anointed and they were speaking in a strange language and they were, they were speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit came on them. So now the resurrection, you've got 50 days. And now here are the apostles and Peter steps out. The Bible says, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he steps out of a room a top balcony in downtown Jerusalem and he looks outside and the place is packed. Thousands and thousands of people everywhere. They were there for a, a festival. There was actually two festivals. They stayed for one and hung out for the other, right? And he stands up and he looks out on the crowd and he starts to scream at the crowd. And what he did was he preached one of the most transformational sermons in, in human history. And in that moment, while he preaches, 3,000 people in that moment witness a miracle because none of them spoke the same language. They were from all different countries. And all of a sudden, a miracle happens. They can understand each other, which allowed Peter then to preach to all of them at the same time. 3,000 people get saved. 3,000. A, a, a miracle of miracles. And then those 3,000 people go back to their cities and they go back to where they came from and they take the church with them. And all of a sudden, there's this movement that begins to happen around the known world from that moment. That movement, the greatest movement on the planet is the local church. And in Acts chapter two, the car pulls over and you look into the living room and you see a group of people, so to speak, symbolically, if you will, metaphorically, although it does mention some people. And you, you look in there and here they are, they're sitting around on their couch and you know, they've got their coffee or whatever and they're, having, they're laughing and they're joking. And the Bible actually says in verse 44 and 45, it says that they were glad. They were glad and they had sincere hearts. Did you know that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of pandemics, even in the midst of whatever is going on in your life, God can still do something so significant inside of you that you still experience joy. And as a matter of fact, sometimes, and we won't get into this, but persecution actually grows the church and persecution actually helps you define what joy really is. Because if we find our joy in temporal things or finite things instead of Jesus and his work on our life, then we're gonna be caught up emotionally in every single thing that happens, highs and lows. Life is highs and lows, but right down the middle is a golden thread called the blood of Jesus 
who gives us the ability to face these things. And so you look through the window and they're eating some food. They love to eat and they've got their coffee. One of them stands up and starts to teach. And he's teaching what he heard, what he heard the apostles teach. So they just continued to teach the apostles doctrine and they're all hanging out, they're teaching and, and they're just hanging on every word. And then one of them stands up and goes to the front and he's a brand new Christian and he, he, he's, he's kind of nervous, doesn't know what to say. He's kind of like, well, you know, I, I met so-and-so and they invited me in here today. I live down the street and um, man, Jesus came into my life and the resurrection thing, that was crazy. And I prayed and something happened and he starts to cry. Then they lay hands on him and they start to pray for him. And, and now they're all gathered up in front. And as you sit on the corner and you look through the light and into the window, what you're seeing is a movement that has begun behind closed doors. And that movement would go around the world. That movement would then, would then withstand uh, everything from pandemics and wars to natural disasters. And for 2,020 years, that movement has continued to move forward. And, and the Bible says that they meet together in big rooms like this, and then they go home and they meet together in their homes. And what is important about today is that we understand that there are two parts of the church. It's not just this. It's not just the big meetings. It's not just the corporate stuff. It's not just when we come together. The real power of Christianity is in the interpersonal relationship part. Relationships do something that acquaintances, you just can't have with acquaintances. But if you have a relationship with them, you start to understand something. You know, I was listening to this song this morning. There's another in the fire. I love that song. It's my favorite new song. Uh, I... Uh, one, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you don't know the story that that song's written about, three guys get thrown into a fire, and Nebuchadnezzar tries to kill them. And there's all these people standing around, and they look into the fire, and they're not being burned. They're just standing there in the fire. And then out of nowhere, another person walks into the flame and stands there with them. And in the flame was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and one that they say was likened unto the Son of God, and he was burning brighter than the flames. And so here these three were in the fire with Jesus. This is an Old Testament. It's called a Christophany. This is the, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And they're standing there with Jesus. The Bible says that when they were thrown into the fire, and I've preached this because this is a, a life message for me, but their, their arms were bound, their legs were bound. There were turbans that had tied their arms and were around their head. They threw them into the fire. Another person shows up in the fire and they're standing there together. And then one of them leaves. The other three come out. And what's incredible is that when you are in the fire with Jesus... That, pers that personal relationship with Jesus that fuels every other thing that we do in life. When you are in the fire with Jesus, the only thing that burns are the things that have you bound. Because they came out with no ropes, no turbans, no, nothing. There was, there was nothing left. The Bible says that they didn't even smell like smoke. Come on. That's how Jesus views us in this moment right here. That regardless of what we're going through or what it feels like or, you know, there's hard things that are going on and there's some good things that are going on. 
But in the middle of it, God's people come through it. And when we walk out, because we have a relationship with Jesus, not because I have a relationship with you, not because you have a relationship with the person sitting next to you, not because you went to church, you went to a corporate meeting, you watched something online, but because you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone, that relationship now fuels every other relationship that you have. So the problem is if we just have a corporate world, a corporate church, then we begin to go to church thinking that that equals relationship with God when it doesn't. It actually becomes a placebo that we think we're getting what they got in the fire, but we're really not. The church should not be a, a placebo for a relationship so that when we go through something difficult, all of a sudden we give up and walk away. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus, and that's what we're going to talk about. The metaphor that we've been using came from a book that I read, a leadership book called uh, Canoeing the Mountains. If you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you, you get it. But Lewis and Clark wanted to cross the country and their job was to find a pathway through, well, through the middle of the country to get to the Pacific Ocean. And when they got here and they crested up over the top of a hill, about, you know, 5,600 feet above sea level, right? I told you last time, like about 60 feet lower than where you're sitting right now. It was the highest thing they'd ever seen. When they crested the hill, they expected to see the Columbia River, literally carrying canoes on their backs, thinking all we have to do is put, put these in the water and start walking, and uh, we're gonna go to the Pacific Ocean. They get to the top, uh, about, about 40 or 50 of them, they get to the top of the hill with their canoes, and they look up, and they don't see the Columbia River. Instead, they see the Rockies. And so they realized what we have to do is get rid of all of the stuff that isn't gonna get us to where we're going. So they traded their canoes in for horses. They traded their, their, all of their, their equipment for the river for mountaineering equipment. And they had to go through a transition, a transformation. But the mission was the same. See, what that is, when they got to the Rockies, they didn't go, well, we found it and it's not what we thought, so let's go home. Their mission was not to find something, remember? Their mission was to cross something. And so when they hit a season or a, a challenge that they did not expect, they didn't just give up and say, well, we found it, it's not what we thought, let's go home because that looks way too big for me to cross. Could you imagine seeing the Rocky Mountains for the first time? No one had ever seen it. Staring, you, you, thought, you thought you were gonna paddle your way to the Pacific Ocean and this is what you see? Can you imagine the intimidation, the worry, the fear, the insecurity that they faced when things didn't go the way they thought it was gonna go? Well, you know what? That's the church. Things didn't go the way we thought they were gonna go. You know, we, we thought we were gonna be filling this building or, you know, already, it was already filling up here and instead we just shrunk it down to 50 people and we've been trying to get back up to 100 for three months. And we're under all of these, these ordinances and all these things and the challenges. There's, these are mountains in many ways for the church. But can I tell you something? God did not call us to find this. He called us to go through this. And once we get through it, we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, wow, if we could get through that, we can get through anything. But we've gotta do it individually in our relationship with Jesus. Because if I don't have a relationship with him, when I, hit, when I hit a snag and all I have is I vicariously live my Christianity by the music and the lights and people standing next to me and it's all good and we're gonna have a great time and it's like kinda like we just, we just let it go and we're having fun. 
But if it's not internalized relationally, when you go through the fire, something happens. And I think what, we're, what we've discovered is that here we are, and we've got to come back to a place to where we're working on our personal relationship with Jesus. Now, in this story, there were two parts of the church. Let me walk you through it very quickly here. They met together in the temple, and they also met at homes. Let me read it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders uh, and signs performed by the apostles. They're like, you go, apostles. We got your back. We're praying for you. If, if, you go to, if you go to prison, we'll pray for you. The prison will shake and you will be released and God will do America. So we're gonna, we're gonna pray. But the apostles weren't there. There was no Peter that was preaching, no John that was teaching. It was just them. And if they had not had a personal relationship with Jesus, the movement would have died that day. And so they were filled with awe. And verse 44, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that was in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And so there you have both. You have the temple courts, which is the, what preceded this. It's the, it was the church in early formation. And they met in their homes. And they were glad. And they had sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the first thing that we see is, is that when they hit this moment and when we look at what we're doing, we gotta remember it's the mission that should be the motivator. We can't live in the moment. We have to live according to the mission. And if we live in the mission, we can go through things. We're gonna make it through and then the Bible says at the very end of this that if you are missional, see the mission in this is in verse 47. And the Lord added to their numbers daily. I want everyone here and online, everyone say out loud the word daily. Okay, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly. I think sometimes that our faith is a yearly faith. And we want things to happen yearly and so we track numbers and statistics and we say, wow, we had this so many people over the year, this is what happened. But there's something very powerful about when God's children devote themselves to Jesus and especially in the fire. The power of God in the church is not found in the program, it's found in the devotion. And to the level that we devote, that will equal the level of miracles that we see. We need to have a daily mindset. People need to find Jesus every day. People need to find God every day. They need to experience the goodness of God every day. Not every week, not every month, every day. What are we doing for the day? What are we doing to get people to understand and, and know Jesus today? Well, that doesn't happen in the corporate service. It happens when we're inviting people to hang out, when we're having coffee, we're online, when we're doing our devote groups. Those are the daily kinds of relationships that have an impact on people. But again, it says they devoted themselves. You have to, as a Christian, understand something about faith. Your faith cannot be lived through another person period. 
And my wife joked about it last week. You know, there are some things that you, you can only do for yourself, like exercise. You know, Donna was joking last week. We, we always watch those infomercials. If, if you're up late watching TV, that's when you always see these infomercials. And I'd be lying if I said we didn't actually get deceived by a couple. Um, we bought a vacuum once that vacuumed the whole house by itself while you were at work. And it, 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 it didn't. It almost burned the house down. And, but it's a whole other thing. Um, but, you know, the, they hook these little diodes up. And they, maybe they work. Maybe all of you buff people out there, this is how you exercise. You just, you just connect electrical diodes to the muscles you want to grow. And you can sit in front of your TV. You can binge Netflix, eat a cheeseburger, drink a milkshake, and your muscles grow. And you just get electrocuted over and over. I'd rather have a treadmill than just electrocute myself every day. <laughs> like I, just, I can just exercise just by sticking something on my muscles. You bring it to me. I do nothing. I do nothing. Well, you might, it might build your bicep, but it doesn't help your core. Christianity is about the core. It's not about what you do on the external. It's about what happens on the internal. And you can't hook electricity up to that. You, you can't, you, other people can't eat better for you and, and the person sitting next to you can't say that they're sorry for you. There's just some things in life that you have to do yourself. And, and here's the thing, when, when you devote yourself, when you pursue Jesus on your own and you, you walk into the fire when God calls you and he, he meets you there, that's where you discover something. You see, listen, a person who never devotes himself will never discover himself. Do you know why? Because you discover yourself in your freedom and not in your bondage. And so you got to go through the fire. If you're not in the fire, walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, dedicating, you'll never experience what it means to have your bondages fall off. You will never understand why you were created until you experience freedom because God uses your freedom. He takes who you were and then who you are and he tells the world about it. That becomes your testimony, but you have to understand that if you, if you never devote yourself, you'll never discover yourself. Well, I love what Pastor Randy said today because, you know, when, yeah, I'm telling you, man, when, when I met Randy, I, I was a little bit of a mess and I, I had some rough edges and I had some things happened and, and people thought I was a joke. And to be totally honest with you, I did too. I, I didn't know that I was Doug Lassett. I didn't know. I didn't know who I was. God knew who I was. And there were, days, there were days where I would literally not be able to walk into church because I felt the church was legalistic. I felt that people were too judgmental. I didn't understand anything about the Bible. And I'd sit in the back and I'd get upset. And I would just judge everybody in the room. I'd walk out of the building, go shoot hoops across the street. There was a basketball court. And when I got, when I got my emotions under control, I would come back and I'd sit back in the back of the building. And I was going through the fire. I was going through things. It was a struggle. It was difficult. People said things to me that they shouldn't have said because I thought all Christians were perfect. Right? Because all Christians are perfect. I mean, they're basically just a slice out of heaven and they just walk on water all day and don't hurt people and don't say anything wrong. And there definitely, there's no pride in the church because we all love Jesus, right? I was getting beat up. I was getting messed up. And I should have left. To be perfectly honest with you, I should have left the church. But there was another in the fire. And it's, it's very religious for us to think that the fire can't be the church. My church 
was my, my fire was the church who didn't recognize me, didn't see me, didn't know who I was, kind of made me feel like I didn't, didn't belong and I wasn't complete and I didn't know anything about the Bible and I didn't have a heritage or a history. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I felt like an idiot. Then one day I'm sitting in the, in the service and there was a song that came on. I still know the song. I know the words. It was called Mighty God, but there was something in the song that so messed me up. It was like Jesus walked into the fire with me that day and I, stood at, I got in the service. I just started to weep and cry. I was bawling my eyes out, man. Just an uncontrollable, ugly cry in a really conservative kind of environment, you know, to a degree. And now I'm just the new kid. I had, I, I, I didn't look like this either. You know, I was, I was a little different and, you know, kind of homeless-ish, you know, and I'm bawling my eyes out. I don't know what to do. I turn around, there's a guy standing behind me. His name was Vern, still in the church. And I didn't know this. I just grabbed him and I hugged him kind of a smaller guy, you know, just kind of like, and I just grabbed him and I'm bawling and I soak his shirt and his coat with my tears and my snot. And I'm just like, and I look up and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And he goes, it's totally fine. <laughs> totally fine. So here I am in the service and God touches me and then all of a sudden I get into a small group and Randy meets me and Randy says, hey, come on over to my group and that group just started to minister to me. They weren't judgmental to me. They didn't. And so all of a sudden I got out of the, the corporate thing. I got into a group. Randy started taking me fishing on the weekends. You know, we go, we go fishing and he'd listen to me complain and listen to me talk and say, oh, God's got a plan for your life. It's fine. And he just kind of stuck next to me. Another guy in my group, his name was Mark and uh, Mark... Every time my car would break down, because it was, you know, it was always breaking down and, you know, like all the time. And I'd call Mark, Mark, my car's broke. He's like, bro, I got you. You're in my group. I'm going to come get you, you know. Next week, my car's broke down, Mark. He's like, I, I got you. I got you. Uh, three days later, hey, Mark, my car is just totally broken. Mark's like, you need a new car, but I'll come get you. And, um, and they, just, they just took care of me. And then I had other people that would kind of put me in my place and then they'd, they'd pray for me and they'd take me up to the mountains on these little retreats and, and we'd talk about things. And then all of a sudden I did a Bible study and my group's with me and they're, they're loving me. And this went on for two, three years. And, uh, and then uh, one day I, I lead a Bible study and, and one, of them, one of them says, one of them says, wow, that, that was pretty good. It was actually not leading. I just gave a little thought in this Bible study. And I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a service, my group's around me. And there was a pastor that was preaching. His name was Wendell Smith. His son is Judah Smith. Maybe you've heard Judah, but they're all from our church in Portland. And, and his dad, Wendell, was preaching. And he was preaching with fire, passion, authority, anointing. And it was really the first time in a church service where I sat up. I sat up and I looked and I was listening to this guy preach and there was a girl sitting next to me who was in my small group and she had never seen me pay attention in church before, ever. She literally couldn't believe it. She's looking at me and I'm like on the edge of my seat and Pastor Wendell's preaching with fire. And she's like looking at him and looking at me, looking at him. And I believe this was a prophetic moment. She literally taps me on the shoulder and I said, yeah, what's up? She goes, you know, you could do that. It's like, no, I could never do that. That's not, that's not who I am. I could never do that. Little did I know that four years later, I would be sitting behind his desk in the church, following in his footsteps. At 28 years old, preaching to thousands of young people. You see, 
those moments, those words, those things that happen, can I just be honest with you? Like, if we don't have relationship, if we think, if we think that the big is good enough and the small is, is okay because none of you really like small groups anyways, has anybody had a bad small group experience? Have you ever been in an awkward moment in a group of people? Come on. Awkward moments in small groups are called the first time you meet. Every time. God did not call you to get to the small group. Come on, he called you to get through the awkwardness. And so, you know, this this group of people, they became my friends. And, And so it's those kinds of experiences that are Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Next thing I know, man, this group of people, they're working with me in youth ministry. We're building one of the largest youth ministries in America at the time. I tell you that just because you have to understand, I went from a a bad attitude kid across the street on the basketball court to doing what we did together. And Randy was a part of that. And you know what the key was? I was in the fire. And I was in the fire with Jesus. And when I came out of the fire, the only things that were bound in my life were the things burned, that were the things that had me bound. I came out free, didn't smell like smoke. And all of a sudden, God has a way of shifting, changing, and fixing everything and moving you forward. That Rocky Mountain moment for me was me stepping back into the building surrounded by 10 young adults who loved me more than I love myself. So you gotta understand, this is what, this is what we're talking about. You, to discover yourself, you have to devote yourself and get into the fire and find out where freedom leads you. Christians who can't feed themselves have no ability to feed others. Christians who can't resource themselves have already reached the lid of their leadership. Christians who can't motivate themselves will never be a part of building anything great. And I don't mean this in a works way. I just mean let your, let your weaknesses and your mistakes and what has you, let it become the fuel that catches fire and burns bright uncontrollably in yourself. And that will push you into the fire with Jesus. And then you start living your life in the fire because you don't want to be out the fire because you become addicted to freedom. People who have never been in the fire, they don't know what freedom feels like or tastes like. And then the Bible says that they, that they dedicated themselves to the teaching and the fellowship of the apostles. These next two, if you've ever been to church for a while, you heard this preach, they always preach these individually. Devote, pray, eat, you know, but they're not. They're in pairs. The first pair here is the teaching and the fellowship. They devoted themselves to it because the fellowship was, was built around the teaching. It wasn't teaching and fellowship. It was fellowship around the teaching. You will be passionate about and devote yourself to the thing that really has touched your life. I could say it like this. You will only pursue what you're passionate about. And so, man, I I meet people everywhere for all kinds of stuff. We meet at restaurants, we meet coffee. We might come here to the church, but I'm I'm just telling you what I love I love getting in a room full of people that have nothing else in common but the scripture. And I'm telling you, it it equalizes all of us and it gives us something to rally around. They came together because of the Bible, because of the teaching. That's what their community was based around. That's how it worked. 
And then it says that they broke bread and they prayed. Those aren't two things, it was one thing. When you read this, some people go, oh, that was communion. Okay, that wasn't communion. It was a little different. You pull up, you look through the window, they're having a meal. The, the head of the household stands up and he's got this thing in his hand. It's a big piece of bread. Now, bread for them is not the same kind of bread that you get at Snooze or the Denver Biscuit Company. Their bread was flat, hard cakes that couldn't be cut. You had to break it. So the head of the household would stand up and he would look around the room and maybe it was a neighbor, it was family, and they would grab the bread and he would break the bread and then he would pray. And when he would pray, he was breaking the bread. It wasn't communion, it was actually fellowship. They were sharing this nasty hard bread together, but he would pray. This is where the blessing for the food came from. If you don't know that, it came from 2,020 years ago in this house. But the difference is that we, we, we pray for the food. They prayed to God in gratitude for the food. Have you ever looked at your meal and just been like, Lord, bless this food? Because Lord, tran actually transform it into something edible in Jesus' name right now. Lord, I pray that as it goes over my lips, come on, that it would turn into like a ribeye steak because that does not look, Father, I pray right now you save me from this moment, right? And you pray for the food. That's not what they did. They actually prayed and thanked God for the provision of the food. And then over the centuries, not to nerd out, but there was some other things, the Greeks and with Gnosticism, they, they started blessing objects to cast the evilness out of objects. And so the blessing transitioned in certain circles over where they would pray for the food to change the food. But the apostles, they just prayed. They had one called the burqa. And the burqa was just, Lord, we give you all the glory in the world. Thank you for your provision. The food is already blessed because it was a gift from the provider. Are you with me? So they would, they would pray. I remember the first time I experienced this. So uh, Bob and Sharon are downstairs in the Spanish service, but Donna remembers. First time I met Grandpa Hugh. Donna's grandfather, Hugh, I think he's 90 or something now. He's, he's still alive, great man of God. Planted, I think, 1,300 churches in Africa. So the whole Africa movement really came from his ministry. And uh, first time I met him, at their house, we're gonna pray for the food. Bob and Sharon said, Hugh, why don't you pray for the food? Now, Hugh is very dignified, you know, statesman, missionary. Well, I don't need to pray for the food, but well, okay, I'd love to pray for the food. No, I'm praying for the food. Okay. And he would do this. And this, this is not even like, this is not an ex exaggeration at all. He would close his eyes. And this is my first experience with their family around the table. And it, is, it really had an impact on me. And he would go, bless God. And I'm, I'm like, wow, that was loud. That was really loud. You know, that was a loud one. That was loud. Oh, and bless God. And then all of a sudden, the whole family starts going, oh, yeah, bless God, bless God. And I'm like, whoa. Whoa, this is, whoo. I'm looking at the ribs. I'm thinking, no one said anything about the food yet. Bless, bless God, bless and then he had this thing inside of him. I'm telling you, he could go through all the nations in the world, almost alphabetically at mealtime and pray for all the nations and all the missionaries. He literally, and these guys, these guys, 
They're like, they're speaking in tongues. They're waving their arms over the meal. I'm like, church was this morning. It's lunchtime. I pray for Albania in the name of Jesus, Albania. Lord, the Spirit of God, I pray for the saints in that city. May the saints rise up and build the church. A, B, C, what's that C? I pray for the Spirit of God to move in Uruguay. I pray for Uruguay and Japan and Zambia in the name of Jesus. May the Spirit of God move across, across the land. And I'm just like... I'm just looking at the ribs. I am not, I'm telling you the truth. 15 minutes later, 20 nations, dozens of missionaries, and like a hundred, bless the Lord, praise God, praise the Lord. He said, in Jesus' name, amen. And then Pastor Sherman would go, and bless the food. <laughs> he forgot the food. And it's funny because now, all these years later, when I get around the table with family or friends and, and people that I love are there, and now I got three children and they have grandparents that have been in Africa and we're supporting missionaries in, you know, in Mexico and all these countries. We get around the table, the table's a celebration. There's something in me, I just almost want them to pick me because I'm gonna go, bless the Lord. <laughs> bless the Lord in Whatever country, I, I can't think of a country. There's many, I can't think of any right now. Bless Lord, because I just want to thank God for what he's done. So the point is, is that they would break the bread, he would hand it out, and then they would thank the Lord for the provision. So all of a sudden now, you got people devoting themselves, they're coming together, they're teaching, and they're having fellowship around the teaching, and then at the mealtime, they thank God for what has already happened, and they begin to bless the Lord. They don't, they don't bless the food, they thank God for the food, and then it says this. It says that as they left, they went on and they had two places that they would go. They would come to church on a Sunday morning and they would continue to meet in their homes. And then every other part, every single other part of this story is an expression of what they did in both houses. Let me, let me read it to you. And everyone, everyone say that. Say everyone. Everyone in the temple and in the homes. Everyone was filled with awe and wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles are out there doing their thing, but they're not here. Can't live my life through the apostles. The apostles are gonna need us to pray. God bless you, Peter. God bless you, James. You go for it. We got you, but I'm, I'm here. But we love you. Verse 44, and all the believers came together and they had everything in common. They sold their property, their possessions. They gave to anyone who was in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily, daily, daily who were being saved. When you, st when you get to the end of the mission, you look at the mission. The key to the mission is the first three words. They devoted themselves. The key to the mission is they, they ate a lot. They went to church and prayed. They were happy. They, had, they were sincere in what they were doing. They had sincere hearts. They gave some stuff away. Because you know, you can do all of those things and still not have a right relationship with Jesus. You can do all of that and still not have a, a strong relationship with Jesus who loves you. The key to the daily and, and the mission is they devoted 
pursued passionately in the fire, experiencing freedom, going from level to level, loving each other and taking, taking care of each other. And what I wanna say is, is that just as an expression in this season of the church, our dream, our desire is that every one of you, because we're in a texting world now, like this is, this is the world we live in, I'd love for you to text us on that number and text us the word devote. It's the same number you used to reserve this, but don't type reserve, just put devote. That will come to our office on Monday morning and then we go through the names and we start putting everybody in groups and we're gonna do five weeks together. Some will be in person, some are gonna be online. So there's a beginning and there's an end date, all right? There's a, there's a start and a finish. I would love for all of you to be a part of that. And I know that there's some of you listening today, they're in other states. I already got some messages this morning. You can be a part of these groups with us. There are people in other countries that you can be a part of these groups with us. Just text us the word devote and we're gonna put some groups together. I've written a little book based on this message and uh, we're gonna go through it together. And we wanna make sure that we make sure, we make sure that we add the small to the large that the relationship and the celebration, you know? What we, what we celebrate in the small is what fuels and accelerates and amplifies the large. Church is and always will be a place where God's people come together and we celebrate what he's doing in our lives. We celebrate our devotion together. And Father, we love you. So I'm gonna end right here. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you today. Uh, and as you're standing, come on. If you love Jesus, put your hands together. Come on, clap your hands and tell him you love him, church. Bow your heads with me. Please bow your heads just for a second and close your eyes. I know that there's some people here and online, but there's some people here, uh, heads bowed, eyes closed, and you are really going through it, man. You're struggling, you're bound up. There's some things in your life. It could be an addiction, a frustration. You could be in, a, in an argument with your spouse. You might be struggling with a child, but there's something that has you bound. And, and if you don't get free from that, Thing that has you bound, you'll never experience the freedom. God wants to take you to the next level, okay? So if you're here this morning for whatever it is and you need the prayer, lift your hand right now. Let me pray for you. Come on, pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now. I just symbolically, just prophetically, we're walking into the fire with you right now. And we're standing in the middle of the flames and we're going, okay, Jesus, here we are. God walks into the fire and he looks you in the eye and he says, in case you didn't notice, I'm a little brighter than the flames. And only God can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And then all of those, those chains begin to fall off. The ropes that have you bound, they begin to burn away. And as they burn away, you walk out of the fire and you don't even smell like smoke. The prophetic prayer over your life is God's gonna get you through this. And when, when he does, there will be no residue. There will be nothing that still holds you. You will be completely free. You will not be bound any longer and you will discover who you are in your freedom and not in your bondage. Father, I pray this morning for every person that had their hand lifted and those that didn't, that you would rush into their life, run into their fire. I pray, Father, that you would run in and Set them free, love them, encourage them, embrace them, hold them. Let them know that you have their back. You are healing them and strengthening them in the name of Jesus. Father, I love you today. I want the whole church to say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that when I'm in the fire, you're with me. And Jesus, say it again. Say, Jesus, right now, right now, my chains are falling off in Jesus' name.
Amen. Now clap your hands for God. I love you so much. Don't forget uh, that you can reserve your seat right now uh, for this service. We're going to sing a song and, and we'll get out of here. I love you very much.